Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. I am George Calhoun. I am the discipleship pastor. We don't call it that. We call my role, I am the next step pastor, because my job is to help people to take their next step in their faith, walk their journey with Jesus. And so good to be with you this morning. Have you ever noticed that church, we throw around terms, biblical terms, but we're not really quite sure what they mean. Take, for instance, the word holy. What do you think of when you hear the word holy? You think reverence, you know, like a a super saint, right? Uh, Someone that is just so religious. Or how about that? She's so holier than thou. Have you ever thought that? Oh, you know someone from another church that thought that way. But holier than thou. But did you know that the word holy means to be set apart and committed. Back, back in the day when a couple got married, we used to call it holy matrimony. You ever hear that, that term? And in the vows, we would say something like this, forsaking all others, I give myself only to you. That's what the couple would say in, in the vows. And what they would mean is we're setting ourselves apart from all others and we're committing ourselves to you. Now, First Peter 116, the Lord says, be holy because I'm holy. Be holy like an angel? No, no, that's not what it means. It means to be set apart or committed to the Lord. Oh, how about, how about the word righteous, right? A few years ago, people would say like, that was like totally righteous, dude. Remember that? <laughs> Some of you said that, didn't you? That was righteous. And we meant that it was like, like awesome. And not just awesome, but like totally awesome, dude. Totally totally righteous. Well, that's not what it means. Uh, Righteous means having right standing. Okay, guys, have you ever been not in good standing with your spouse? Gotten in trouble? Anyone? Raise your hand if you've ever gotten in trouble. Oh, you know someone from another church that got in, in trouble. Well, my wife's here, and sometimes I, I get in, in trouble, and so I have to apologize, and make it right, because I don't have good standing, and I need to have right standing, or I'm sleeping on the couch. Someone say amen. Um, that We have to make it right. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not good with God because of what we've done, and we need to make it right with him, confess and say, I'm sorry. Okay, so righteousness. How about, how about the word grace? Oh, you knew a girl named Grace, right? You, you say grace before a meal, and if those library books are late, what do we call it? A grace period, right? But did you know that grace means getting something that you didn't earn and didn't deserve? Yeah. Now, the most famous verse in the entire Bible about grace is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That gift is Jesus. It's God cutting us a huge break when we definitely don't deserve it. It's God saving us when we can't 
save ourselves. Now, I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and I have asked uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, two questions. And the first question is this. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And do you know what the number one answer is of people? Well, the people ask, the number one answer is, I hope so. Not, I have hope, but I hope so. Hmm. And the second question is this. If you were to die tonight, and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Do you know what the number one answer is? Well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. Have you ever heard that? My good outweighs my bad. Now, I think most of us, like me, we kind of toggle, right? We have good weeks, we have bad weeks, good months, bad, bad months. And uh, they hope and pray that their good outweighs their bad. But did you know that, that sin is not just what we do, but things that we should do and don't do? Do you know that it's not just our behavior, but even our thoughts? Think of this. If looks could kill, how many people would be dead? Have you driven on I-90 lately? I drive on I-90 every day, going to Beloit. I live in Janesville, and going, going to Beloit, and I'll tell you, if looks could kill, there would be people dead. Going down, right, people are driving 100 miles an hour around me, and I give them the look, right? And on the way back is all those Chicago people coming up, right? And they're zooming around me, and I'm like... Oh my goodness. Now, if, if that's the case, just three sins a day and just my attitude, you realize in over a year that's a thousand sins? What would happen if you stand before a judge with a thousand parking tickets? Not good. Wow. But here's the thing. There are no scales in heaven. So just get that out of your mind. The Bible doesn't talk about that whatsoever. Whatsoever. You see, somehow we have in our minds that God accepts good people and rejects bad people, that God accepts or rejects people based on their level of goodness, on how religious they are. But there are no scales in heaven, and we get into heaven and are saved not based on how good we are, but on His grace. He gives it to us when we don't deserve it. And grace means getting salvation and going to heaven based on what he did for us. Jesus Christ alone. It is a gift. John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, says, For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever, whoever? Whoever believes in him shall what? Not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. Do you mean, George, that not only good people but not so good people go to heaven? And how about bad people? And how about the really, really, really bad people? Do you mean that Jesus can save anyone who puts their trust in him? Is that what you're saying to me, George? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Can you imagine what heaven would be like if we earned our way there? Can you imagine that? Just picture it. It'd be like one of those political fundraising campaigns or dinners where people would stand around bragging about how much they gave. Well, I gave $1,000. 
Well, I gave $5,000. Well, I gave $10,000. Well, move out of the way, pipsqueak. I gave $50,000. I'm afraid that heaven would not be much like heaven if we had to earn our way there. I went on a bunch of mission trips. I was part of a citywide hunger drive. I, I made recordings for the hearing impaired. Wouldn't it be horrible to spend eternity listening to people brag about how they earned their salvation? Someone puts their arm around Jesus. Jesus, you went to the cross, but I made the cookies. Thank God heaven is not like that because heaven would not be like heaven. Might be a little bit like hell if that was the case. Now, my son Josh, some of you may know him, Josh Calhoun. He likes to say, salvation is God's gift to us, but how we live is our gift to God. I like that. He's a wise, wise man. But it begs the question, how far does God's grace go to save someone? I mean, how far does he reach down? Is there anyone so bad, so horrible, so incredibly terrible that even God can't save them? Have, have you ever thought this? Oh, she'd make a great Christian if we could just get her into the church. Have you ever said that? Someone from another church, you know. But... Have, have you ever, ever thought that? Or, or how about this? You know, I, I know he's a little rough around the edges, you know, but, but uh, you know, if, if Jesus just got a hold of his life, that'd be great. Man, we could so use him. But have you ever thought the opposite way? I don't know about that guy. Yikes. What he did was so bad that... I don't think God can even save him. Have you ever thought that? And, and, and if he came to church, our church, I, I don't know if I'd go. I, I might have to call and say, <laughs> I'm not feeling well this week. I can't come to church. Hmm. Once upon a time, there was a guy by the name of John, John Newton, who back in the day was one of those guys. He made his living as a slave ship captain. He was part of the slave trade that captured people, ripped families apart, threw them in a hull of a ship where many of them died of terrible disease, took them halfway around the world, and then sold them like meat at the market as slaves. And if they tried to escape, they were either beaten or killed. Now, can you even imagine that happening to you or, or your family? I, I, I don't even have a frame of reference for it. But that's what John did until John met Jesus. And by God's grace, Jesus forgave him, not based on how bad John was, but on how good Jesus is. Well, John got saved. He went into the ministry, and he traveled extensively telling how Jesus saved him, not only when he was bad, but when he was really, really bad. 
And he was encouraged to write his story down, and it became a song that topped the charts and has stayed near the top of those charts for some 250 years. you know what that song is? Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a what? A wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now... I see. Now, some of you may sing that song with gusto, maybe get a catch in, in your throat. You know how that is when you sing a song uh, because we see ourselves in that slave ship captain and our eyes were blind and he turned us around and changed us. And because time has a way of healing old wounds, because we have a tendency to look back at, at the good old days with nostalgia, you know, the good old days. Sometimes the good old days weren't as good as we thought they were, but nostalgia does that. It takes off the edge of, of the terrible and the horrible that John did and was forgiven by Jesus that saved a wretch like me. God's grace is amazing, but, but the question really is, how far does God's amazing grace go? I mean, how deep, how deep does God's grace go down into the muck and mire of, of someone's life? I mean, can a person be too far gone to receive God's grace? Can a person be so horrible can a person be so terrible? Can a person be so deplorable that even Jesus won't touch him? Have you ever thought that? That a person could be so bad, so cruel, so incredibly terrible that even God can't save them? Have you ever thought that? Hmm. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Back in the 1980s, I, I know that was last century, but <laughs> back in, in the 1980s, there, there was a guy who lived about an hour and a half from here in, in Milwaukee who did some of the most terrible and heinous things that I, a person could do. He seduced young men. He murdered them. And in some cases, he cannibalized them. What? You're kidding me. No. Yeah. Yeah. He was convicted of 15 murders and sentenced to 941 years in the Columbia Correctional Facility just north of us in Portage, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. But while he was in prison, a prison chaplain shared with him God's amazing grace that could save a wretch, and I do mean wretch, like him. He told him that if he put his trust in Jesus, he too could receive forgiveness and have right standing with God and go to heaven. He told him that whosoever believes in Jesus, shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. Well, as the prison chaplain tells it, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer, 
confessed his horrible sin before a gracious God and received the gift of salvation in Jesus as Savior. That is, he claimed to have seen the error of his ways, confessed that he was a sinner before a holy God and cried out to Jesus to save him. Now, we may never know the full story of whether or not Jeffrey Dahmer's conversion was real or not because he was beaten to death not long after he said he gave his life to Jesus. So we'll never really know by observing his life if it was real. But that's not the point. My point is to ask if Jeffrey Dahmer's conversion is possible. I mean, is it possible? Suppose, suppose you were one of the parents of, of one of those young men that he had seduced, murdered, and cannibalized. How would you feel if, if you came to church one week and you saw Jeffrey Dahmer up here giving his testimony of how God saved him, what would you do? I could tell you what I would do. If he had murdered one of my boys, it would take everything within me not to jump out of my chair, come up here, wrap my hands around his neck, and send him to either heaven or hell today. That's what I would do. And it would take all of you to drag me off him. That's what I would do. Aren't you glad I'm not God? <laughs> Aren't you glad? But that's what I would do as an earthly dad. I would have no problem sending him off to heaven or hell early. But regardless how, of how I would feel or how you would feel, the question still remains, is there grace for someone like Jeffrey Dahmer. What, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Romans 10, beginning in verse 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will what? Be saved. What does it say? Will be what? Say everyone will be saved. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a, a man, a thief next to him, who was being put to death for some crime that he had done. We don't know what it was, but apparently it was severe enough that he was being put to death by, by crucifixion. Do you remember what Jesus said to him when this guy called out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Let that settle down into your soul for just a moment. In the book of Genesis, chapter 18, we read about the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And 
Scripture says that these cities were not only bad, but so bad, so desperately wicked. How, how wicked? Well, so incredibly wicked that even God said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to destroy these cities and all, its, all their inhabitants. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. A man by the name of Abraham, who's all over the book of Genesis, I encourage you to go home and read it for yourself, was called by God to raise a, a family that would grow into a nation, Israel, boy, that's all over the news, that would give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And if you want some insights into what's going on in the world today, it all starts back in Genesis, so I encourage you, go home and read the book of Genesis. Now, Abraham had a nephew by the name of Lot and his wife and his two daughters and their husbands, and they lived in the city of Sodom. And so Abraham began to cry out to God on behalf of Sodom, this wicked city, one of two, that God was going to destroy. And he said, uh, Lord, what if there are, are 50 righteous people that, that look to you righteous in, in the city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? So the Lord said, uh, okay, I will spare the whole place for them. And then Abraham asked, well, what, what if, if the number of, of righteous is, is 45? And the Lord said, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. Well, what if there are 40 or, or, or 30 or, or 20 or 10? Okay, God said, if you find 10 righteous people, I will spare everyone. Now, that's the George's version of it. You go home and read it for yourself, but it's similar to that. Hmm. What's going on here? The Lord who is gracious to save a bad guy like John Newton and a really, really, really bad guy like Jeffrey Dahmer has to be convinced not to wipe out two cities? What's up with that? I mean, John Newton and Jeffrey Dahmer, after what they did, take them out. Be done with them. Good riddance, right? But Abraham goes to bat for not one, but two really, really bad cities. Lord, what are you doing here? Or, or is, is this like the pastor who shared with John Newton? Is it like that prison chaplain who shared about God's grace to Jeffrey Dahmer? Did Abraham really get God to change his mind? Or, or was God using this situation, you know, a teachable moment, this circumstance to grab hold of Abraham's heart and have him have a heart change, you know, like Dr. Seuss and the Grinch that stole Christmas, you know, the Grinch's heart that was two sizes <laughs> too small. Was God doing a heart transplant on Abraham like the Grinch's heart that grew three sizes that day. Did you know that Abraham's prayer is the very first prayer 
in the Bible. And that it's what's called an intercessory prayer. And intercession means that you are praying on behalf of someone else. Did you know that by doing this, Abraham, the father of all of us, laid down a foundational principle, a foundational truth that Jesus wants us all to do. And that is that it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are or even how really, really bad you are. God's grace reaches down to everyone. Everyone. It doesn't matter. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. Jesus said I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And he said I am patient, patient with you not wanting any to perish but everyone to come to repentance or to turn to me. I have to be honest with you. Sometimes the Lord says to me, George, where's your heart? George, are are you picking and choosing who's in and who's out? George, what, what about you? When you were 23 years old and you were partying in the drugs and all that kind of stuff, do you remember back then, George, or did you forget that? Did you forget what I brought you out of? How you were that skinny kid coming out of New Jersey, out of a broken home, and I rescued you. Do you forget that? Did you forget it? George, don't forget it. Because I saved you when you were far from me. When you were far from me. Do you know why I love this church? (laughs) I love this church because we get it. We get it. I love this church because we get that. (laughs) We were lost, but now we are found. We were blind, but now we see. And some of us are more lost than others were lost. And it's our job, it's our privilege to pray for them and to tell them that Jesus is here from them. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know someone, do you personally know someone who's far from God? Do you know someone who has walked away from Him or is not looking to Him? Maybe, maybe it's a child, maybe a family member, maybe a friend or a coworker. And, and we can look at them and say, oh boy, they're too far gone. Maybe they're doing things that aren't good or maybe they're doing things that are bad or maybe they're doing things that are really, really bad and you're wondering what you can do. I can tell you what you can do. Go to bat for them like Abraham in prayer. Come on now. We can go to bat for them in prayer like Abraham did for Sodom and Gomorrah. 
That's what we can do, right? Look out there. It's a dumpster fire. And God is saying, will you make a difference? Will you do what Abraham did and go to bat for them? And so this morning as we come to communion, will you join me in going to bat for them? That person that's on your list, that person, that friend, that, that relative, that coworker, maybe that, that child, that brother, that sister, that cousin, that nephew. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.